0: I'm Barry Worthington. I'm Paul Thorpe. I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Adam Pendlebury. And this is the Progress with Unity Podcast. What a performance at Watford yesterday, absolutely superb, sort of proud of them lads and I'm also proud that there's been quite a bit of warning from Watford supporters as well about our, as they put it, our shithousery, which I think we can wear that as a medal of honour.
1: We do have the king of shithousery playing for us in the uh, left wing back.
2: But
0: he wasn't the worst
2: yesterday, I though. was he? More or less all the team were involved in. Rat-kick, I think was, uh, I put him as number one, but what I thought was funny was the fact that they, were, they warned the Ricker about it in the first first half, and he was one of the biggest culprits. The referee warned him. You know, we got it a lot last year, didn't we? But when you're nearer the top, you get annoyed with it, and then when you're near the bottom, it's a good tactic. To be honest, it was more about breaking up play, I think, than wasting time, because I think we had as much chance of winning that game as Watford did.
0: Cast your mind back to Tuesday. Coventry's goalkeeper going down, doing a little bit of breaking the play up. Everybody does It's part of the game now. Are oh, you get rid of it? I don't know. I mean, it's just frustrating as a supporter to see time wasted and at the end of the game, they had four minutes on. You're thinking, wow, ah, the crane, you know, there's been three goals, two sending offs, seven substitutions, and Fizzio's been on eight times. So there should be at least seven minutes. If they get that big clock and stop it every time the referee indicates, like they do in, in other sports, I think it'll be a lot further. Take the timing away from
2: the referee.
0: Right, let's Go get on, on with you. the game then, instead of all this time wasted. The stats, one goal apiece. One point apiece. Possession. Watford had 55% to the Latics 45. Attempts. On my stats, it says Watford had 17 to the Latics 6, with three on target to the Latics 2. Corners were quite evenly showed at 5-4 to four, in Watford's favour. Committed 10 foils each. They picked up two yellows. We picked up four. I think most of those were probably four-time wasting, were they? I think uh, Dariqua Power, Sinane and Reckick. An attendance of 18,500. And 23. Starting line was a little bit unpredicted. Tommy Naylor coming into midfield, which for me, I'd start him every because I, I love Naylor. I think he'd just bring something different
3: to the team. And I have to say yesterday, I thought he was exceptional. He never shies out of a challenge, does he? As soon as he can run into somebody and get the ball or put his body on the line, he's doing it. And I, I really enjoyed the midfield of Power, Naylor and, and Teehee as well. Teehee in that more advanced role. Naylor breaking up the play and then and then Power helping out the midfield. I thought it was it was a good selection. Maybe Dan now. Johnny and Wilkie in a little bit isolated up top. I thought that the Watford defense was not really strained too much. We were missing a third person or a bit more physicality up top. I thought early on maybe it would have been a good game for Charlie Wyke or Josh McGinnis to get involved and, and rough up the back line. But no, I think at the half time when he made the substitution, brought Lang on, we, we looked much better. Lang
0: brought an injection of, I think, directness into running with the ball at his feet. There's an incident with Lang just before we scored where he did his usual where he lets the ball roll past him and then feigns and, and turns and, and goes. And he left he left his marker for dead. And it was a great move that straight to the byline. And then he cut inside. He did bring a different dimension to that game. And also, one thing I noticed, he was going all across the front line. He was on the right, was through the middle, and he was on the left as well, which which really mixed it up. I've seen Watford manager, Wilder, and the fans give a lot of criticism to the referee, but I thought he was leaning heavily towards the home side and one highlight was Pedro got a free kick on the edge of our box for, for a tittle Kino when he got played through with Sinai he was tripped up and, and player waved on thought that was an obvious decision that he'd missed
3: I think Dariq got spoken to after 25 minutes so he wasn't really messing about uh, obviously the, Charlie Hughes was down for a lot of that time and he wasn't seem to be having anything to do with time wasting everything was picked up our throws our free kicks made it hard to try and get any sort of flow to the game and then once the yellow cards start coming out it makes it a lot more difficult
0: that Hughes injury at 12 minutes I know Tommy on the comments was talking about it, he'd taken one in the first but it looked to me like it was his ankle any comment from the club I've not seen anything come out about that too early no. isn't it
2: it's very rare unless it's a stinker it's very rare that, like we knew Ma- Martin Kelly you know the newest season was over but he's more like niggly ones So uh, you usually say it's got to be scanned, hasn't it let's hope it's just a couple of weeks and hopefully Moff is back as well to, uh, to bolster that
0: defence. We've missed one off. That's wonderful for, for David Naylor. That injury came on 12 minutes. Rekic came on to replace him one more One of the problems with Omar more coming on, it's not that he's a bad player or anything, but he's likely to get booted. And he did. <laughs> I think he'd only been on about 10 minutes and he picked a yellow up and he's thinking, oh, God, like, here we go again. But I thought he
3: played really well. He's still a very controlled. Yeah. I was surprised at his positioning though because he came on as a right centre-back and we've only really known him as a left centre-back. And with Ryan Nyambi in there, I really thought we were going to go right kick at left centre back, Corker in the middle, and then Ryan Nyambi out on the right, you know, to support Dariqua. But, you know, he stuck with, stuck with Rickick at right centre back. And I thought he did very well, obviously, by the yellow card, which at that point, Max Power had just been booked, I think, for, for arguing. Dariqua had just been spoken to. So the ref was on us, and I think the yellow card, if he's going to come to anybody, it's my Rekic.
2: I think he is right-footed, but maybe when he's been playing with Hughes, maybe he thinks Rekic <laughs> can adapt a bit better. And, and Hughes, being a young player, playing him more in his specialised position on the right. But yesterday, I thought they'd bring Rekic in, because I thought the the mb was having a really good, solid game. Again, I thought he played well. We had a good
0: game. Yeah, he brought old man Wreck on. Reckick actually is he's ten months older than Charlie Hughes, so he's, there's not that much between them. Played more games
2: than he Reckick.
0: No,
3: I think yeah. Reckick's only played about half a dozen. He, and the- yeah, he played about six games, and there were only really cameos, and he got subbed on a, a CDM at one point for a couple of couple of minutes in a game. So yeah, he's not had yeah. much experience no. professionally.
2: Oh, well, let's rephrase that.
0: He's got an older-looking face. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I'd get you, though, to, to change that, round. yeah. Half-time comes along, and I tell you what, I like Sean Malone's substitutions. He loves going with just one centre-back, doesn't he? He takes Stephen Corker off and uh, brings Callum Lang on. He's thinking, you're going centre-half? What's going on here? But he he does. I mean, he's not afraid to take that gamble, is he, when we need to get into games. The goal
1: difference is already shot, isn't it? So why not have a go? I I remember going bananas in the past at Martinez for playing tippy-tappy at the back when you've got two minutes left and you're like, just oof it up and have a go. Nothing to lose. If your goal difference is already shot, every game that you nick a point from by going a bit gungo is a point and if you can nick a point from one game doing that, doesn't matter how bad your goal difference gets in the other games.
0: He could have been injured. We don't know if he was injured or not, do we? Or well, if it was that tactical. as well.
2: Good point, that, Paul, because the season I'm thinking of with Martinez, we had a 9-1 defeat, a 5-0 defeat and an 8-0 defeat. But if you remember, we came, in that season, we came from behind against Arsenal, didn't we? Because we... We we went for it. I think sometimes it's worth doing because once your goal difference is gone, there's no way in the world that we're going to make the goal difference up on those sides that are out of the bottom three. So we may as well go for it. If we lose 2-0, that's fine. 3-0, that's fine. But if we draw 1-1, that's an extra point on the board. And we could have even won 2-1 yesterday. We're just lacking a bit of confidence up there, aren't we? Lange's playing well until he's in front of the goal and I think his confidence has gone a bit
0: yeah just look at the goal now uh, right on the stroke of half-time Keenan Davis Watford fans don't rate him and I can see why he missed an header, didn't he he was offside but he still missed a point blank header just before he scored the goal and then the goal itself it's questionable whether he was onside or offside I've looked at it a few times on the replays and it's its really hard to tell so you've got to go with the line but he, he, it was very close that
3: question of offside but obviously you're going to get it in the Championship and you can't really argue much against Linos because there was a few chances that I think we had that, you know, a virgin offside not just in this game but in the last one against Coventry as well. But then the cutback was good. He's obviously finished it really well past Ben Amos. It's six goals for the season now for him which is his best scoring season so it might not be the player that Watford really want if they're going to be trying to push on into the playoffs, but I think he's doing well. And you know, it was a good finish, but obviously it was lucky that that was an offside because that was a, <laughs> it was a horrific miss. The one beautifully far with that header,
0: it was a shocker. Yeah. So after time we go in. We have already mentioned a little bit of a shuffle about. Langi comes on and we're at them. We're at them. And I thought the second half, a bit like the first half against Coventry on Tuesday night, was full of energy and going about. And with mean, the performance, considering everything that's gone on over the past 10 days or so, just put a tear in my eye, I'll be honest with you. I was that proud, that proud of them. Every single player on that pitch was fantastic. James McLean gets his goal. And what a goal it was. And what a celebration, because he tripped up and he celebrated, which was quite funny. Well,
2: Bobby Campbell's back. Bobby Campbell. That's yeah. Bobby Campbell, I of not <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it's, it's about a 16-yard header into the top corner. Fantastic. Bobby Campbell
2: or Steve Bruce. Good cross from
0: Wangy, weren't it? it he picked him out lovely. There was two in the centre calling for the ball, and I think it was Sinani and, and McLean. And You put balls
3: into the box, anything can happen, and that, that shows it. If we attack these balls, we can score. You know, We, we really miss that figure up top. That I, I think when Wilkie plays up top, he's a little bit too nice. And he doesn't really get close enough to defenders, but you ask James McLean to do it, he's going to throw himself at it. But the celebration reminded me of, do you remember when Joe Williams scored and he tried that knee slide and ended up you know, falling least. up? Yeah, he reminded <laughs> me of a, little of, a little bit of that one.
2: Yeah. Remember James James McLean uh, under Malcolm Mackay, if you recall, for a period, played up front him and Wagon played up front together. And I think, mm. top, I think he was our top scorer that year, albeit with about seven. I think he was our top
0: scorer. Yeah, he also played up the under Uwe Rosler as the striker. team when we played away at QPR, if you remember, in the playoffs, because we, yes. we had a bit of a striker shortage, and he played up front.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah, and I think he missed a, missed a good chance, didn't he? Hit the, hit the pulse the with an open net, wasn't
0: it? Put scored, didn't Pitch it? scored. Rob Keenan missed in extra time,
2: thirty-five yards. Hey, we've got up to that game.
0: <laughs> well, this is this is what we do. A Great goal, a fantastic celebration as he fell over, and he celebrated <laughs> in front of the own fans. And I think for once there was a bit of good humour between. McLean and the own fans, because everybody seemed to be laughing. We could have gone and un- un- won it. You know, I mean, there was a, a chance for Lang when Sinani played him in through the middle. He just took an heavy touch with his right foot. And I think if he'd have taken it with his left foot first time and then onto his right, he'd have buried it. But they had chances as well. I mean, that, that strike, that rattled off the post. That, that, was a, that could have gone anywhere, couldn't it?
3: Yeah, and I think Lang's a player that Maloney spoke about in his post-match interview as well, just talking about how he's a player that is very good, obviously just needs the confidence. And does that belief in himself that he can be a player for the championship. Whether He's saying that in training, he's quite an aggressive player and finishes them off really well into the goal. But when it comes to the game, he, he seems to panic a little bit. So I think working with Malone is good. I think one thing that Sean Maloney did perfectly well was the timing of the substitutions as well. Obviously, you can't really help Rekke coming on for Hughes, but at halftime, brought Lange on That changed the game. Then brought McGinnis on for Keane. That kept the intensity up a little bit and then Asgard on for Teehee again intensity. There was no eightieth minute subs. There was nothing towards the end of the game. I think he did it perfectly and seeing him on the sideline going at Chris Wilder was <laughs> was everything I wanted to see. I mean that was over weren't it wasn't it? Wreck it it taken one to the
0: side of the face. All right he made a meal of it. We made a meal of it. But I mean it's since isn't it? You know it, it would have hurried the game up for them. If they'd have just given it back to to Ben Amos and then he you know cleared it to field they have got possession back a lot quicker than than what they did with all the uh, Malaki, what was going on? But it, it was good to, to see the reaction. Maloney didn't get booked, but Wilder did. So obviously, uh, big Chris Wilder. had... <laughs> big Chris Wilder. God, I'm so glad he didn't get. We didn't bring him in. I was just thinking about this yesterday with Maloney. The way he's changed the team round. It's just there's so much more fight in them now. If if he'd have come in in November instead of Touré, as uh, you know was he was one of the favourites for the job back then. I don't think we'd be in the bottom three now. I really don't. No, no. I think if like, Richards had stayed,
1: I don't think we'd have been in the bottom three. I'm probably in a minority of that
0: opinion, but I agree. That defined our season. That bringing two Ray in without mm.
1: you can't you can't put a price on. Yeah, it's only a point. Yeah, it could have been three, but you can't put a price on that fighting spirit. You're going to the next bunch of games, and apart from Sheffield United where you'd have to nick something, there's a lot of points there that can be won in the next few games. Quick one on Sheffield United.
2: Of course, they've won today. That means their players are going to Wembley. Most of those, I suspect, haven't played at Wembley previously. I think we play them before they're in the uh, semi-final. You, know, and you saw how it affected some of our players when we were about to play Man City in that fifth round, the greatest team in the world as they were at the time. And we backed off a bit, I think. So you never know. You might think I'm clutching the straws, but, you know, we're playing better. Sheffield United haven't been as good. It's not like going to Burnley. I think we have to target every game. There's no point saying, well, pick up a right here and there. Now we just have to say, let's get in there. Let's pick up the 21 points available.
3: We, we did say a few weeks ago as well that with the run of Burnley, Coventry and Watford coming up, we needed a shock result to try and get three points from one of those games to still be within touch and distance. And we've ended up getting two points. And then we come back after the break, we play QPR, who are not in good form. Sheffield United, like you say, you know, they're playing Man City soon. And I know Tommy Doyle and James McAtee can't play Man City in that one. So they're definitely going to be playing against us. Swansea, we were 2 0 up to them earlier in the season. We should have won that game. So maybe we can this time then it's Blackpool, Stoke, Millwall, Reading are getting the points deduction. And then we play Rotherham last day. So obviously with our points deduction, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be right down to the wire. But there's still a chance until it's mathematically impossible. You've got, to, you've just got to believe in it. You've just got to keep going.
1: We're a club with a record of it. Sneaking it and going from nowhere. I mean, nobody would be surprised if we don't but nobody would be surprised Sean, if we do.
3: Sean Maloney
2: was part of that as well, which I think makes a yeah. difference. You can say completely different players, completely different time, but there is one, the manager, it's a player who can say, look at what happened with Wigan Athletic 2011-12 season. We, we look like we we're going to go down on more or less record points at Christmas and we we, we comfortably stayed up in the end, playing the best football has ever been seen, well, probably since 1970 Brazil.
0: Yeah, I was reading Reading again uh, getting uh, deductive points. Nine points as well they're talking about. Uh, if we get done three, it's still, it's very difficult. That's a really difficult thing for us to make up, especially with feel winning at Millwall.
2: The EFL were investigating yesterday's Abandonment
0: as well. That was shocking. That did you see what was going on with the uh? I mean, you could look at it and say it was futile trying to get that water off that pitch, so they were just acting <laughs> acting about, but they still should have been making some sort of efforts because it didn't look right, did it? <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, they had the sprinklers on at half time. Apparently, they had the sprinklers come up and were spraying the field, but then they're trying to clear <laughs> trying to clear the water off and then dragging it back on. It looked a mess. I don't a, know what the that's ESL a
2: 12 do. point deduction for me that.
3: Man of the match yesterday
0: is voted for by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter. We've mentioned him already. Tom Naylor. So, absolutely superb. Well-deserved. Brilliant performance. Talking about points deductions, there has been some sort of a non-development, shall we say. The players still haven't been paid. I think that's the way to put it. There's been a non-development, so the players still haven't been paid. But CEO Mal Brannigan and first team manager Sean Maloney have jetted off to Bahrain to meet Talal Al Hamad and Mr. Al Al-Jazmi to discuss what's going on and hopefully get some answers. In the meantime, though, while we wait for a statement coming from the owners group. The Supporters Club have put a, a statement out and as Adam's part of the Supporters Club committee, I'll just pass over to Adam.
2: Yeah, cheers, Barrett. Well, first of all, I'd say to get, obviously, the if you're part of the Supporters Club, you have an email with a full statement on. It's also on the website. There is an article... That's reported as well, but that also includes a statement from a grievance society. if you want the official position of a supporters club, then you can get that off the website or your email. I think the headline point for me is that there is still communication lines open. Because that's one of the things that was, I mean, I try not to engage with social media, but the, there hasn't been any communication lines. We've not been able to get hold of Talal. Well, that's nonsense. And then I think the other stuff just echoes what we've been saying in, in sort of previous podcasts. You know, it, it, it's not right that the players have been paid late again. It's not right that some of them, well, all the members of the staff had to wait, albeit the general staff, support staff now have been paid in full. But in terms of the future of the club, I haven't seen anything to suggest that we're in any sort of situation like we would, that, like we were in 2020. The communication lines are all open. Talal, in particular, being in contact. Statements have been out there. Official statements from Talal, albeit on Twitter. And we know for certain that Sean Maloney and Mel Brannigan are going over. So going over to meet the owner and Talal this week, it certainly needs sorting. I do think certain terminologies need better explaining rather than just you know dropping in terms like liquidity and realisation of assets and all that kind of stuff. But I think if you take a step back, in my view, uh, and if you look at the supporters club generally, the view in the statement is that, we, we don't need to worry about the future of the club. Although it's very concerning about what's going on at the moment in terms of the late payment of wages. I don't think anybody can, can say that that is an acceptable position. But what I say is to the fans trust the official statements and try not to get too involved in social media because it doesn't take much does it to hide behind a pseudonym and hope on a post on there so uh...
0: I mean some of the annoying bits about it, uh, the situation for me is is all this anonymous posting on social media what Adam's referring to of uh, criticising even criticising people who say get behind the lads, and putting negative spins on everything. Also I find it difficult personally to take People who are anonymous to take them seriously. I think people should front up. Let us know who you are. You know who we are. We know who the supporters club are. We know all the names. We know everybody's name. But when you got a pseudonym, you could be anybody. We don't know who we were talking to, so I find it difficult to it difficult to engage with people like that because you don't know who you're talking to and you can end up going down dangerous paths there. One of the things that I, I've seen, Adam, is where people saying the supporters club haven't been proactive, they've been reactionary, and only put this statement out because they've been pressured to do so. That isn't true, is it?
2: No, not at all, no. Obviously, this, uh, this situation has been developing all the time, but I think sort of late Thursday and early Friday of last week, we uh, had the official statement about the... The wages not being paid on time again. But since that point, the Supporters Club has been working hard, keeping those communication lines open, constantly getting updates. And this isn't a situation. I mean, I'm part of the supporters club. So you might say that I'm not objective, but you know, if I stood back from it, certainly the you know, the key members of the supporters club, the members who were there through the administration. They've all got full-time jobs, but yet yeah, they're keeping those communication lines open. And there's no point putting a statement out every day. It's, that's just ridiculous. So you basically get all your information together, and put a statement out when it's actually appropriate to put a statement out. And the supporters' club isn't just going to put a statement out because somebody asks for it to put out. It'll put it. It'll put the statement out when it's appropriate to do so. And you've got to trust that the Supporters Club, with their experience, what they've gone through. And I certainly don't have that level of experience, but I've certainly observed it. And you've got to trust the Supporters Club will provide the information when required.
1: The thing is, the Supporters Club are an easy target because people can moan at them. They know they're not going to come back and sue them or anything like that. We're all frustrated, we're all worried. The people that are doing a job to try and help us are not the people you want to be shouting at. And even if you shout at the people you should be shouting at, the ownership group, the whoever's involved in, in the reasoning behind the money not turning up, that's not necessarily conducive to a good outcome. Because, as others have said, if they walk away, what do we do? You know, then then we're eight million quid in the hole each year as we stand. So there's there's no real answer. Everybody's frustrated, but you just have to kind of be adult about it and accept that it's it's not the hype it's, no it's not an ideal situation and deal with it. Screaming and shouting at other supporters is not gonna be helpful.
3: Listen, there's clearly much more to the situation than any of us know, any of us will be privy to. So at this point we unfortunately just have to wait, but I think it's on good trust and respect that the supporters club are doing everything that they can. And like Adam said, there's no point putting a statement out every day. I think the timing of it is quite good. Let the Watford game get out of the way and then put the statement out. Now we're in the international break. Maloney and Mal have flown out. So at this point we just have to wait, but you know, there's so many people at the club who are doing the best and have the full, you know, the full backing of the club. So we just need to trust in in Sean and the supporters club and and make sure that we're all on that path.
0: Yeah. one thing in in the uh, in the statement, it talks about getting questions asked and answered, and I think that's important. Questions do need answering. You know, we're looking forward to getting some sort of clarity from the board on both our short and long term issues, and how we can move forward with trust. And I think you mentioned something, there, Charlie Unity. I think is the key to the future. And on that note, we'll await the uh, any official any official statements coming in the next couple of days and we'll be back with a podcast when they do to react it. So until then, up the ticks, let's stick together, and come on. Up the ticks. Up ticks.
1: Up the
2: ticks. Progress with unity. Unity.